to episode three of Ribbon of Memes. I'm Nick Marsh. I'm Roger Bell West. And we are here to discuss films considered by some, not necessarily by us, as masterpieces. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're often films we haven't seen before. They're not necessarily the film of the year, but they're certainly a film of the year. um, They're films that at least some people regard as classics. That's right. And this year... Um, we are in 1975. Four. Four. Oh, I'm trying to get forward to the year of my birth. Um, Darn kids. And we are discussing Chinatown. There will be spoilers. Yeah, there will be spoilers for basically everything here. Yes, yeah, we're going to dissect the film down as as deeply as uh, to, to the bones or to the marrow, whatever parts uh, of the anatomy uh, as, of the as film. As far as two non-film scholars who nevertheless <laughs> have, have a disturbing knowledge of actual anatomy can manage. <laughs> yes, let's uh, dispense the anatomy um, analogy. So, uh, I guess first of all, Chinatown, our first slightly problematic director in that this is Roman Polanski, and I'd like to clear up, because... I do, it's hard to discuss these masterpieces, which are, uh, particularly in the 70s, very auteur, 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 auteur uh, films. It's hard to discuss them without discussing the director. Um, well, so, in, in particular, this is very much the the sort of director, and ju- just as uh, we were t- talking in um, Bonnie and Clyde about, about um, Sheen as the producer. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Very, very much stamped his uh, vision of the film on the way it got made, and and I think we have the same with Polanski here. Now, uh, so... Beatty, by the way, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, I, I guess we want a disclaimer up front in discussing Polanski. We are not, we are aware that he fled the country after being convicted of underage sex charges. Um, At the time uh, he made this film, he had not yet committed that particular crime that we know about. Uh, exactly, um, and uh, I, there is some of Though Romans. Everybody who worked with him reckoned he was desperately controlling, especially the women. So you know, we are not here to pass judgment or excuse um, Roman Polanski's actions, um, or discuss them further. Because I well, feel there, even there, the there, there is actually a potential connection later on, but uh, we'll, okay. come, we'll come back to that. We'll come to that, but we are aware he is um, problematic. Um, uh, and we are not uh, judging him or excusing him for his crimes. But Chinatown, um, 1974. Is that the right? Have I got the right year this mm-hmm. time? Um, a neo-noir. Well, I'm going to discuss that. I'm not even sure it's neo-noir as so much as just noir. Yeah, I mean, th- there have been all sorts of people who have argued against noir as a definition at all, as a genre mm. at all. It's, it's a style, perhaps. I, I would call this... Late noir, yeah. as distinct from neo noir. Yes, and I would say that uh, perhaps Badlands that we talked about last time it, it, it's starting to be neo noir. It's it's a different style that is that has some uh, connections. Yes, I would agree. Chinatown doesn't really uh, subvert the genre, knock it on its head. It has some. Well, in some in some ways, it absolutely does, but it, it's very much informed by noir. Um, yes. But we'll, we'll come back to that. Well, I get a quick summary of the film for those. I mean, you shouldn't be listening if you haven't seen the film, honestly. But um, a quick summary to remind us. Um, Jake Gittes is a private uh, uh, detective in 30s Los Angeles um, and is uh, hired 
by the wife, or so he thinks of um, a uh, one of the um, water. Um, what is he a bureaucrat on the water basically board? yes um uh who thinks he's having an affair it opens up a can of worms leading to he, he is indeed a, having an affair but he is having an affair but it opens up uh, a uh, a watery can of worms leading to a very fictionalized um version of the los angeles water wars which i think happened much earlier in reality that's but it's an, not another thing where I, i'm going to go on at some length later oh, well that's good <laughs> I'd, I'd like to talk about that um it also leads to a a deeper evil lurking underneath that crime i would say um and ends on a fairly bleak note that uh, the protagonist only entered chinatown in the final minutes of the film um but it has been heavily foreshadowed <laughs> what may occur um well it's, it's not even that it is chinatown particularly it, it, it's more that that when he was a cop that was where he worked and there was a particular way of the way things happened there which mm. is why he got out of being a cop well that, I, that, I, that, I mean th- this was inspired by a conversation about how basically Nobody really knew what the alliances yeah. were, and you know, if you put the finger on person A, then that that might well offend person B, whom you didn't want to offend. And yeah, there, well, there's just it. too much happening where you can't see it for you to be an effective law enforcer. Was 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 well, the was the thing they were? Was the point? Yeah, Chinatown is not a place really in the film. It's a metaphor for getting in over your head in something you don't really understand, and in something that you have no power to change, largely. Mm. And and I think, I feel that's, I mean, that knowing that and seeing the film, you've got a fairly broad idea of probably why the film is named after Chinatown. Yeah. I, 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 I was perhaps a bit cruel. I said it was heavily foreshadowed. For, I mean, this is a script that is considered perfect by a lot of people um, and is used as a well by a lot of people by by a number of people and is used uh, in film schools to show you how to do foreshadowing right and how to get a plot Mm. moving along I personally I would agree with that I felt it was nice I I don't like things to be over explained and I think it's possible you could argue that this film perhaps over explains things but not to me for me it just hit me at exactly the perfect level. It explains what Chinatown means. It, it moves the plot along perfectly. It doesn't... For me, it didn't dwell on the details of what was going on. But a number of points, Jake explains his thought process to show you where he is in the investigation. Mm-hmm. And you may be further behind or further ahead. I was pretty much... I was slightly behind Jake, which I think is exactly where you want to be. I think we may have been at different <laughs> points in the film. I, I found it... And this is my, my reaction to pacing is is clearly a bit odd. I, I did find it very slow going to start with. Um, yes, but at, at about the one third mark here, we've we've established the basics, and things are actually going to start moving now. Then, then then I did I did find it rather picked up. Uh, it's a thing I've I've said before about mysteries that you can't win because if you explain it more slowly than the audience is getting it than the than the yeah. detective or the equivalent of the detective looks stupid and if you explain yes. it too fast then the audience is annoyed and that's true for any audience member and they're all going to have different speeds so so that's well that's fortunately i'm, I'm going to come flat out and say this has been my favorite film so far and that we may we may disagree i think we may but i i, found I, I it... liked it but i didn't love it I okay 
Brown. I well, this is it comes into an interesting thing, really, in that what is what is enjoying a film? Because for me, I'm slightly struggling to dissect Chinatown because I was gripped and enjoyed it the whole way through. And to some extent, that disengaged my critical um, <laughs> faculties. Um, and it's hard to know quite what triggers a film for each individual person. It's a bit like what makes a book a page-turner for one person. Some films, as soon as they start, I just know I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm slightly regretting the fact that it's going to be over. And it doesn't happen to me very often. Um, mm. I mean, films like Jaws, The Big Lebowski, this film, they all immediately they start, I just... I am comfortable with the direction. I'm comfortable with the pace of storytelling. I trust the film. And mm-hmm. at that point, I just sort of give myself over to it. Um, yeah. And that has, that didn't happen with Badlands. In fact, almost the opposite with Badlands. I <laughs> was slightly... Uh, had to force myself to engage with it. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, somewhere in the middle, but more towards this end, in that I enjoyed it, but uh, from a distance... And and it's I don't know that's an interesting thing. I mean that's what a film is trying to do. I don't know how you capture that magic. It just happened to catch me at the right point. And so as far as pacing goes, I just happened to hit the exact perfect mm. sweet spot of being ever so slightly behind Jake, but not so far that I felt dumb, but not so far ahead that I thought he was dumb. So <laughs> I, I it worked yeah. perfectly for me as a mystery. Well, it's a. Th- I wonder whether some of that depends on how much background knowledge you have, because at, at the time it yes. came out, the, the the Water Wars, I mean, yeah, it was just about in living memory, but it wasn't a thing that was widely known about outside Los Angeles. And I I am a gamer, and one of the, and I, I do a lot of early 20th century stuff, so I had at least yes. a passing familiarity with it. And the the way it felt was, I know about this, and you don't, so I'm going to change it to make a better story. Uh, right, yes, fair enough. Which... In in a way, I, I find irksome in a way that um, a straight fiction isn't. Yes, I, there was a book a book I read uh, last year, which was a, a very enjoyable book, but it assumed that you didn't already know about a particular historic shipwreck. Okay, and if you do, because it's because it it's it's a fictionalized version of that with a whole bunch of ah. details changed, and th- this is similar. I mean, just the same sort of thing. It, it, yeah. It's. I think it would be fair to say that it is very fictionalised. I mean, the, the actual aqueduct yes. was built yeah, 20 years earlier. And frankly, that, sto- that story is a story without good guys in it. Um, Mo Holland, the actual guy who did it, was quite happily lying and cheating to get the Owens Valley water to, in, to Los Angeles. There were a lot of dodgy land deals. And the, the other thing they mentioned, the dam that, that he's unhappy about... Uh, yes, it is obviously uh, a parallel to the St. Francis Dam in 1928, but that was basically after he'd done all this, and and the break the break ended his career in part because he had inspected it, you know, less than 24 hours before it broke, and said, yeah, yeah, nothing wrong here. <laughs> so I guess in this, you're objecting to the fact that our goodness me, I've forgotten um, Evelyn's wife's name, uh, husband's name, who is the the uh, Mulray. Uh, yeah, he's even got a very similar name, hasn't he? He is portrayed as kind of the one knight amongst the, uh, the the kind of the white light amongst the the, the bastards and the well, water boy. I don't. I think objecting is is too strong, but it, but it niggles at me a bit simply because yeah. I, I I have at least some vague idea of the original story, and I'm having to try to forget that to yes. to get into the fictional story. I would absolutely, so I absolutely understand that. I mean, if you want, uh, as a segue, if you want a fiction where you can know a great deal about 
the I keep talking about this because I just read it uh, a great deal about the episodes and still find uh, an interesting fiction that dances around it. It's From Hell by Alan Moore, which is meticulously mm-hmm. researched about the Ripper murders. Uh, is a, a really interesting fiction, which he then goes on to prove how it could not have worked right afterwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's really nicely done. But I can't say enough good things about From Hell uh, unless we talk about the film, in which case I'd say terrible things about it. Um, <laughs> so, okay. so keeping to the more adaptation tradition then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, though I did very much like the Watchmen TV show, but uh, I, I digress. Um, I, okay, the thing I would I would definitely say here is is that it re- this film relies on the existence of noir and an audience familiar with noir, a classic noir. It relies on the audience knowing those tropes because they are being subverted. But if, I, if for example, okay. Gittes didn't know up front that the beautiful dame is, is usually murderous and never a good person, yes. then it would progress in a very different direction. Yes, I agree. I, I don't know that it relies upon it, but some of its tricks, uh, particularly, yes, that Evelyn is actually not a femme fatale in the film, but very much plays up to that role right up until she doesn't. Mm. Um, uh, yes, uh, and that, to some extent, explain some of Jake's re- reactions that would otherwise appear either excessive or re- unrealistic if you weren't familiar. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, but on the other hand, there are things it doesn't subvert, like they, they may be honest cops, but going to the cops is not a thing you can do. This, this, is, a, this is a genre in which you, you basically have to solve things yourself. Um, well, I, I feel hmm. um, uh, on that as well, things it doesn't subvert. Jake himself is a very straight, you know... De- fundamentally heart of gold, decent PI, um, world wary, cynical, but deep down a good guy. He, he is a classic noir character, I Except would say. Except when it comes to the crunch. That was the weird thing. Um, consider to, towards the end, he, um, yeah, he, he, he set up the, the, um, brute out for, for Evelyn yes. and Catherine. Yes. He's going to confront Cross. It's not entirely clear what he thinks he's going to gain from that, but that's fair enough. That's the thing he's got to do. Yes. And if at that point he had he had simply accepted that he could save them by by not saying where they were, which mm-hmm. which would lead to his death, obviously. If yes. he, if he decided to make that trade, they could have got out safely. So oh, he, he's he's yes. not yeah, the okay, best man yes. in his world and a good enough man for any world. He fails at that point. Well, I feel that uh, perhaps I'm not familiar enough with Noah. We may well be um, <laughs> soon. I I felt that was. I felt that was a trope of noir that the the, the character that the the hero does often fail at the last minute or is flawed at the last minute or is outwitted at the last minute. Um, I I thought that was a noir trope, but I could be wrong about that. It, it it's variable, but it, it felt to me. I'm uh, all right. I I am obviously thinking of of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight because it's the sort of thing I think <laughs> yes. about quite a bit. Um, because. Yeah, in, in that ending, nobody else thinks he could have done any better. You know, forget it. It's Chinatown. You, you couldn't, you couldn't have. Yeah. You couldn't have won, but he knows yeah, he could not. have. And that's what to me gives the ending its force. That exactly. He, so he's I not, would... he's not agreeing and backslapping and saying, yeah, yeah, well, that's just another job, isn't it? 
and you can uh, on on the performance that is written all over his face you know that is yeah. uh, that is just he knows that he failed evelyn um and although he didn't pull the shot, he, he did effectively cause her death and, and play this again. And that, I agree, that is what gives it its emotional impact. Yeah. Um, and again, this is the first film of our trio so far that has actually moved me emotionally. Even though I knew, I, I didn't know a lot about Chinatown other than the closing line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew it didn't have a happy ending. Um, I, I think it's worth bearing in mind that Polanski did insist on that ending as, as the, um, I've I've lost the scriptwriter's oh, name. Yes. Um, uh, sounds anyway. Yes. He, he he was doing it as a more conventional noir in which you know may, maybe Jack wasn't going to get everything he wanted, but but the the two of them, the you know, Evelyn and Catherine, would be getting away. Robert Town. Um, yes. And, yes. And Polanski and... said no. That that's just going to be another turn the handle noir, and I don't want to make another turn the handle noir. In effect. And I suppose that's it. Do you think if we'd had Towns ending? rather than Polanski's, would it... I, I think, for me, I still would have greatly enjoyed the film. Would it have had the emotional impact that it did? Uh, probably not. Um, Maybe. It would, depend on, it would depend on what happened to him in place. Because well, yeah, nobody... It, it's never going to be a completely happy ending. So. I think with Town's ending, as I recall, he she shoots Noah Cross dead and goes, goes to prison. So she doesn't get away, mm-hmm. but it's a slightly... Happier ending because then Jake is looking after the uh, the daughter, yeah, slash sister, um, and I think it's a it's a dark ending, but it is not the bleak the gad the the people who are who should be alive are dead, and the people who are should be dead are still alive, um, mm-hmm. and uh, completely untouched, and yeah, and are never going to be touched, and get on with uh, yeah, um, I I'm not sure it would have had the impact on me, so I, I think Polanski was. Was wise there? Possibly. I, um, what, the film we've got is the film we got. We can we can talk about yes. maybe's, but yeah, that that's what it is, and it works. And all right, yeah, I'm not happy that Polanski is doing a story involving the rape of an underage girl, but tricky. Yes, I mean, not, um, not his script. Don't know if that element came from him. Obviously, he had influence on it, but yeah. Well, talking of Polanski's past, I mean, this is a man who had had his wife murdered a few mm-hmm. years before sure. by the Manson family. And it seems to be widely regarded that this is one of the key reasons, you know, his uh, outlook on, on the world, which, uh, you know, it's got to have something to do with it, is why that ending was changed. Sure. Um, no, no, yeah, particularly women didn't like working with him even before that. But, yeah. Yes. So, but, uh, you know... It, it, it's one of those things, you know, that they, they, he, the, the guys on set say, oh, the actress was hysterical and, and she says he was over controlling and one doesn't know how things may have been. I don't suppose anybody is a saint. I just find it my, my natural sympathy is with anybody other than him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not worked well for Joss Whedon recently. <laughs> not that I'm in any way conflating the two. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, so, so go, going, going back to the, uh, Noir versus neo noir thing. I I I, yes. I I I would certainly call this late noir. Though the the thing that really struck me um, quite early on was that a thing you never see, or at least I I have never seen in in classic noir, which is bright, wide outside shots. And you, yes, you look at something like not. Maltese Falcon or um, you know. That, that that sort the 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 classic code era and was and you may, you may have daylight coming through the office window, 
but you you don't uh, but you go outside it's night time and it's claustrophobic you you have a shot in a car and all you see is the car and the people in it yes and these obviously are literally there are, there dark are films yeah i mean there are production constraints that that encourage that but it's this is saying okay no we're we're in los angeles and los angeles is huge you've got all these huge spaces you've got all this wide hot countryside we have orange groves and chasers sets uh, there. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're all classic noir scenes, but they are—they are. Yeah, it, it gives a very different. On the other hand, it. it's still what would you say, psychology rather than sociology? I mean, it's it's about the individual people rather than say the media reaction to them, which which we touched on a bit in Body and Clyde, and, and we'll probably come back to later. Yeah, this is much more about the individual characters psychology i i feel and particularly jake's personal emotions hmm. and uh yeah what one thing i liked about it is that it's never really it feels to me like the kind of oh, that's uh, grandiose for me but the kind of backstory i'd like to have for a role-playing character something vaguely bad happened in your past everyone knows about it no one wants to talk about it and it's vaguely alluded to and you can fill in the blanks as a viewer yourself and you don't um, actually need to define it Exactly. That yeah, and I, I, you just know that uh, that is foreshadowing it. So to me, the film is really about that sort of psychology, and not yeah, not a, it's not really about. And that's why I think to some extent, the Water Wars, which I I'd, I'd certainly like to read more about them. So that's one thing Chinatown has, has done. But it's not really about that. Mm. And I think the fact that we have this, I don't know if you call it a twist. I suppose it is a twist. Two thirds, three quarters of the way through the film, when a story that you think is about corruption of the political elite um, suddenly turns into this very deeply disturbing personal sort of sexual story. Mm-hmm. Um, when we learn that Evelyn has been abused by her father, though that's re- almost a side issue. Um, I, I think Cross would consider it a side issue at least. And as, well, far, that, as, I... as far as he's concerned, that that's not a thing that's on the table. That's just a thing to be kept quiet and it doesn't it doesn't even need a lot of keeping quiet because he's going to believe her well that's what i i found that quite effectively uh horrifying that mm-hmm. cross it doesn't particularly as you say doesn't particularly deny it he just um in fact this, he's almost proud of it at some point that some people don't have to confront what they're capable of and i have um i i found um cross a, a kind of a a true monstrous character you know above the law and doesn't care and really feels but even pretends to show some sympathy to it mm. uh, to, i thought john houston was amazing I yeah john i mean it. it seems stealing is a cliche but my word every time he comes into shot he's just lifting the thing off the off these young people's shoulders and saying oh, no goodness. no no kids here's here's how you here's how you play a character absolutely <laughs> absolutely i, I love i th- everything uh i, I even love there, there was a lot of little characteristics characterizations in this film that uh i really responded to well one of them is just things like uh noah cross never once getting Gitty's name right and calling him mr gitz the whole time mm-hmm. and the way that jake very humanly corrects him the first few times and then gives up and just mm-hmm. <laughs> lets him carry on. um the other mm, sorry this is segueing from the monstrousness of noah cross but i liked the little characters like the um uh the irritated uh clark in the Hall of Records, mm-hmm. um, who just could not be less helpful um, if he tried. I liked um, Jake's uh, 
client, you know, in the opening episodes, is he's trying to eat um, Jake's <laughs> blind, mm-hmm. much to the uh, much to the irritation of Jake himself. Um, I liked there was another. I um, I, I just uh, liked a lot of it really. Um, all those little characterizations that made every scene interesting mm. to me. And I, I will admit, I, I mostly know uh, Jack Nicholson from from later as in in his career. So my initial reaction is, "Good lord, was he ever that young?" But yeah, apparently <laughs> yes. he was. Um, apparently he was. And yeah, um, it's not. It's not. Oh, I was going to say it's not a complicated part, but I don't want to say it's not a demanding part because it clearly is. I felt he played it really. I mean, knowing Jack Nicholson. As he got known much, I mean, before this, he'd, he'd been mainly in Roger Corman films, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, after this, he he had a sort of reputation for playing, uh, you know, the Joker and Jack. Uh, is it Jack Torrance in The Shining? You know, these kind of unhinged, giggling mm-hmm. lunatic. Um, whereas here, Jake is very straight, but I I, I think he's really well played. I, I think he's very nicely. Uh, he felt like a very rounded character to me. He felt like a good, solid mm. Bogart, uh, de- dependable. I wouldn't even say Bogart replacement. I mean, I, in some ways, I responded to him more than I respond to Sam Spade. I, I thought it was a really nice mm. character that he played and well played. Yeah, it's it's that trick of not not being too sympathetic, but at the same time not being too unsympathetic because the audience has got to stay on his side. Yes, while he is being unfriendly to people who, well, maybe maybe, maybe don't actually deserve it. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, and certainly being unfriendly to people who did deserve it as well. Mm-hmm. So, let's see, Faye Dunaway was actually coming back after a bit of a slow patch. Um, we we talked last time about yeah, Bonnie and Clyde, obviously, and, she, and the next year she did Thomas Crown, and then which I haven't seen. But yeah, we talked about it. Uh, but then some rather, rather more minor stuff, and this this was a, a, a sort of comeback uh, three or four years later. And how did you feel about uh, Faye Dunaway's performance? Okay, in Body and okay. Clyde, I was impressed. In this, yes. it's okay. All right, it, it's it's a mole. Yeah, there's not a lot she can do with the character because, first of all, she's being she's having to be the standard noir femme fatale figure. Yes. And then she's having to be the abused figure, and she does she does what she can with that. But I, I get the impression that there's some very tight direction going on. Maybe it's just yeah. I yeah, I not not a lot of have... room to add, to add her own touches, and and I th- I think she just with, with the other the other parts I've seen her in, she's most fun when she's enjoying it, um, or the character I should say when the character's enjoying it. Yes, and she's not really a character. Uh, Evelyn is not really a character who's in a position to enjoy a great mm. deal. Um, I, I mean, I, I suppose as far as, is she distinct uh, from Bonnie Parker? Yes, very. Oh, I mean, I, I yeah. she's, she's a really good uh, chameleon. And I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I connected that they were the same until we sort of looked at it, that they were the same actress, which is always a good sign. Mm. Um, I do agree to some extent there's a an element of her being a, a, a in a, in a sim, I I think it's similar to Jack Nicholson in that she is uh simple if not simplistic you know she she is to some extent a standard noir femme fatale or at least she's supposed to be mm-hmm. um and she's also a fairly standard rich 
rich man's wife, I say, rather than a rich woman. She um, she behaves like that in, in this sort of film, mm. um, which is common in the, the 30s too. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was a, a, a great performance, but it wasn't scene stealing in the way that Robert uh, John Houston did. Yeah, as I understand it, he hadn't actually been acting for that long. Um, really? He came came to it relatively late in life, having done a bunch of other things. But he just, yeah, has 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 that sensation, which which obviously it's 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 hard for young people to do. Of yeah, seen that. You're not the scariest thing I've seen this decade. Yes, yeah, yeah. He had a not not world weary. It just uh, just very happy in his own skin, even though that skin was utterly reprehensible and awful um but i like that scene where they're eating the the fish together i thought well, yeah he was mesmerizing in it i, I don't mm. know what it was about the the scene but i just i yeah i responded very sorry i'm gushing about this film really because i i just really enjoyed I'm it not gonna stop you um that's, that's the, i i enjoyed lots of little bits i just didn't didn't love it overall so yes yeah. I, I did wonder slightly, I, I noticed afterwards um, that it was uh, 10 minutes over two hours. And, oh, yeah. which is longer than most films were at the time. I mean, obviously films have been drifting towards longer over time anyway. Uh, but, yes, um, yeah, Badlands was 1.30 um, with, yes. with, with a lot of slow stuff in it. Um, Bonnie and Clyde was 1.50. I'm, I'm wondering... Oh, really? That was longer. It, felt, it feels, feels quick, doesn't it, Bonnie and Clyde? Pretty. Yeah. But um, French New Wave, you, you, you had eight-hour films. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and obviously that was... The, though, um, as I understand it, I don't, I don't know whether this is a formal rule or whether it was just a common practice, but there, there is a standard thing that if a film is more than a certain length, then you can only show it three times per day rather than four in your cinema. Oh, so it's a sort of financial thing. I, I and and obviously, the ticket's going to be the same cost. So there was certainly a, a, a pressure on time from that. I mean, this is after the year of Hitchcock, who I believe, though it may be apocryphal, um, uh, said that a film should never last longer than the capacity of a human bladder, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> <laughs> which is wise advice from uh, Hitchcock. Um, I didn't feel Chinatown dragged, though I must say. In fact, reading around it, and I felt the same. So it's interesting that you felt it was a slow film and that uh in that a lot of again uh, it is considered a very efficient film in that you are not given a lot of extraneous information you're given exactly what you need um mm. jake is in every scene um and he plays it along yeah it, 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 it's an interesting cinematographic conceit that basically you don't see any more than he does he gets exactly. knocked out the we fade to black that kind of thing Yes, and that I think works brilliantly for a mystery. It may it may be problematic for other uh, styles of film, but it works brilliantly here. I mm. thought. Um, yeah, but I yeah, mean, I, I I could I thought about you know where where would I tighten this if I were editing it, and maybe maybe a bit in the first third, but really very there's very little. Um, yeah. I mean, they find out he has an, uh, uh, well, again, you can just say what happens, but, but yeah, to me, it moved very quickly from finding out he had an affair to, well, from being hired to finding out he had an affair to him being murdered to the water murder, to, to the water wars quite quickly on, on from that to, uh, well, to the acceleration towards the end with his discovery of what happened with Evelyn. Mm. But yeah. 
It's yeah, the, this is obviously a film you you had seen before, not a film I had. I haven't seen Chinese Town. Oh, okay, I, I, I had the impression that uh, you, you you had some. Okay. No, I avoided <laughs> it. Actually, I didn't think I would enjoy it. Um, I don't know why. I just uh, well, partially Roman Plansky, honestly, is one mm-hmm. reason. Um, partially, I'm not a huge Jack Nicholson fan. Um, I don't, I'm not saying he's not he's a terrific actor. I just I've never been particularly compelled by him. Well, um, there, there, just, there's, there's a distinction between this. Is, I can see this is being done competently, and this yes. engages me. Yes, and, and um, you know, film film has to engage the glands as well as everything else. So, and also I'm a huge Bogart fan, and, and to me this felt like uh, I always thought it was supposed to be like a replacement of Bogart, but I I don't I don't think it was particularly. Yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, there's a little bit from uh, in, in, informed by Bogart's playing, but I, I didn't think it was a de- deliberate imitation. Say, I mean, I, I wouldn't have. No, I feel he's the same archetype as uh, Marlowe and, and Spade, but he's not. He's not trying to replace them particularly. He's just that that noir character. Mm. Um, well, as, as we'll, we'll come back to in a future episode, um, that there's the difference between Marlowe and Spade and. Bogart's playing them. <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Um, which maybe uh, may have been slightly different between the authors of the book. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so I, yeah, no, no, I haven't seen it before, but I, I did. Uh, I'm, I'm just keeping gushing about it. So I'm not, I'm not saying useful <laughs> things about China. So, um, I, well, I suppose what is it? Is there anything that I didn't like about Chinatown? Um, I will have a think about that. My feet, well, obviously, apart from the shadow of Polanski, um, I, I, mm. as I said, I, I didn't feel they really quite understood how the honour worked. So, you, Give, given how much they explain everything else, well, tell me about. So, your feeling on Gawain in the Green Knight? So, he, he, feels he's, like he's, he's put he's in a failed. situation, yeah, where he has failed, but he's yes. alive. Yes, he is. He is. He has survived by being dishonourable. And yes. you, you can argue about how, how he's been put in an impossible position. Um, but how, however he's got there, he's, he's arrived in the position where if I do this, I'm breaking honour. If I do that, I'm breaking honour and dying. Yes. And so he's broken his personal code of honour. Well, the, the, the universal code of honour as far, as far as knights are concerned, not well, just his personal yes. thing. Yes. Um, and he survives, and everybody says, congratulations, well, yeah, hey, you won. And he knows, but nobody else can understand, that he hasn't won at all. Yes. He's just alive. And and I feel that because of... You know, because Gittis refuses to say, okay, then you're just going to have to shoot me, in effect. Yeah. Yes. Maybe he thinks he can do another trick and get them all out alive. Maybe he doesn't. Yeah, yes. That doesn't matter. The point is he, he has a way, as I read it at least, he has a way that we keep them alive at the cost of his own life and he doesn't take it. Yes, I agree. Yes, as you say, he may have had some idea that he could influence or he may have used that as an excuse as to why he was saying it now to himself. But I agree. And I think he's fully aware of that. Um but but considering how much everything else is laid out and that isn't laid out, I'm I'm not certain that that reading is is entirely supported by by the intent of the filmmakers. That, that yes, I think I, is what I'm getting at. Yes, I also agree that it's not made. It's implied that Jake is a uh, 
uh, a good man, a decent man, and yes, probably a man of honour. But there's not much made of it, and there isn't particularly much made of it when he seems to break that code. Um, yeah, I mean, n- nobody really tries to buy him off. No, I yes, but he, he <laughs> maybe, does... maybe they recognise it's futile, but that one feels they there should is try. some. Well, he is. He is. Um... They, they say, "Don't do this; it will beat you up again." <laughs> well, exactly. Don't, um, I mean, we're literally going to cut your nose off. Um, well, that, mm. was, that was a good bit of acting between <laughs> behind um, half a face full of bandage. Um, for most yeah, that, of the that, that is Polanski with a flick knife, of course. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was Polanski. That was a that was a scene that made really made me um, well, wince. That was nicely. I knew it was coming as well. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what made me wince that I was expecting it. Um, that then I remembered the other thing that I knew about Chinatown was that Jake <laughs> has a bandage on his nose for a significant mm-hmm. portion of the film. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there are. Jake does show his colours in a number of ways. You know, he is offended by the um, the banker mm-hmm. uh, judging his way of of living a life when he, to him he's just trying to you know make a living. And if unfortunately he happens to make a living off misery of other people, that doesn't mean he causes mm-hmm. it. That's just how he lives. Um, yeah. Whereas the banker causes it. Um, there's another. I thought there's a really nice moment when it feels to me when. When he confronts Noah Cross at the end, he genuinely seems to me to be trying to understand why mm-hmm. why you would do that. You know, there's a point when he says, "What what more can you buy? What is there that you can't? What more luxury could you live in?" And he just he just can't understand mm-hmm. what I guess Noah Cross understands is that you know the, the it's about the winning. It's about the winning. It's about possessing the future as well as the present, and um, and the fact that Jake almost naively doesn't understand that I found made me mm. like him more. You know, yeah, <laughs> that it was quite sweet that he—it's not in his wheelhouse. He just doesn't understand why anyone would do that. So, yeah. The the, the other really positive thing, as far as I'm concerned, is is the cinematography. Um, mm. Which is, you know, it, it starts off being informed by noir and then adds to it. And yeah, I mean, we, it, it's obviously getting away a bit from the German expressionism of, of original noir, but it's, here's the thing we don't get an outdoor crowd scene. Mm, they, yeah, they, that's they, all, all those big outdoor scenes are relatively lonely. I mean, you might have two or three policemen or something, but that's it. So that I I feel that is a deliberate choice. It, it, there is still that loneliness and the isolation, but it is not a physical confined space anymore. Yes, that's true. Even the you know even the the actually the lecture in city hall is not packed. Um, and I suppose the closest it comes to a crowd scene is right at the end in Chinatown itself. Mm. And I feel like that is more. My feeling would be that is more to emphasise the chaos uh, of Chinatown, that it is just all these things happening all all the time. It's not sure. particularly overplayed, but that feels like the scene where there's most happening right at the end when they're all on the pavement mm. um, and it's most crowded. And that, but Jake is not part of that. And it, in, I think that was, you know, to, to underline the fact that this place is, and by implication, the world, because it's not just Chinatown, is just full of random chance and error and anarchy and evil, and there's nothing you can do about it. The gears are going to keep on turning. You can be ground up in them if you really want to, but you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you can try and control them like Noah Cross does, but more likely you'll end up with grist to the... To the uh, 
evil of the world. And I suppose if we're going to talk on the the bigger picture, that is a philosophy. Oh, being a, a Lovecraft fan, that I <laughs> am a fan of Lovecraftian fiction, of course. Again, another problematic artist. Um, that is a philosophy that I subscribe to, that the world is full of chance and anarchy. I don't know about evil in the way that it's sort of implied here, in that Noah Cross does feel like he's supposed to be an evil character. Um, and I, I almost prefer Badlands' point of view that evil's kind of banal and boring and, and quite often dumb. <laughs> one, um, one does feel that Cross might at least be getting a bit of enjoyment out of it. Yes, that's true. Yes, he does. He does. And if you I, if you're gonna have a towering villain figure like that, I do. I do like the idea that they can at least enjoy it sometimes. Yes. I, well, I think in some ways, perhaps the reason I enjoyed Chinatown is it uh, the characters they are not realistic so much as hyper realistic archetypes. And and Noah Cro- yeah, he's he's the villain of the piece. And as I say, he's a slightly pantomime villain is a bit strong. But yes, he does seem to be enjoying himself. Uh, despite the awful things that he's done, and Jake is this the the archetypal noir hero, and we have the femme fatale who's slightly subverted. Um, so the characters, I, I enjoyed the characterizations, but I guess we've said it with both the main characters. They're slightly sim simple, Carol, simplistic, perhaps. Like they they're not fully rich characters. They're more archetypes. Yeah, and so some of that, of course, is because in in a single film, there's not there's not always yes. a lot of time for development. But yeah, they, they, what what would you call it? Um, in in one definition, melodramatic rather than dramatic. In that most yes. of the struggles are external. Right. There, yes. there, there is some uh, Evelyn in particular has some internal struggle, but mostly it's here is this other person who is who is opposing what I need to do. Yes, and that probably plays into your feeling. You know, we don't see much of Jake's internal struggle with himself and his honour. It's just sort of given that he is this honourable man, mm. um, uh, even though, yes, not much is made of it, or, or this decent man, um, and his struggle is more with the external world battering it than his own yeah. problems with it. And and that, that it's interesting that you picked out the one which is really probably would have been an internal given the character we know about jake yes you would have thought would have thought that would be much more of an internal struggle which isn't made much of in the film i agree so that's that is a good point and an interesting point that yes it's it's more melodrama than internal well yeah people use melodrama to mean all sorts of different things but in in that particular distinction in that distinctive thing they're reacting more to external events and the world um so well, suppose... not lacking in interior lives, but yeah. no. Well, I feel that that makes it sound like they are not interested. I mean, I found. I mean, they are no less well drawn than you know ninety percent of movie characters, ninety five percent. And the acting again elevates them above that and suggests deeper meaning and motives and and uh, mental processes. But perhaps we're just not uh, quite privy to in this story. Um, yeah. But it was fine by me, because um, it worked very well. <laughs> <as a film. laughs> uh, do you want um, to say anything in conclusion on this? Or? Well, yeah, I don't know if I have much more to say about Chinatown. I was surprised how much I liked it. Consequently, um, I have little to say about it. I, I, again, I, I mentioned this last time. My definition of one of my favourite films is... Uh, if it finishes, could I just start it again without feeling, oh, what a waste of time. And there are uh, a precious few films on that list. Chinatown comes close. Talking about it makes me want to watch it again. But I think more mm. than anything, it makes me 
what which is fortuitous talking about this maybe you want to watch a john houston film again <laughs> which is it would which be interesting great. to see him in something else yeah uh well uh, john, i don't think he's i directed. Had, but... well obviously he's directed a number of very interesting films uh, one of which i count as my favorite of all time or not amongst my constantly shifting favorites of all time which <laughs> is the man who would be king mm. um which i just adore um the african queen i think was john houston um and the Maltese Falcon, of which more anon. Um, so yeah, though, though I, I was thinking of him as an actor. Yes, because, know, that, that, because that, that's where he just stuns me here. Uh, yeah, he was phenomenal. But I, I feel his scene stealing in the, I don't know, I'm gushing too much about John Houston now. I feel his scene stealing as an actor is also, he did The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Oh my goodness. Love that film. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, I feel his direction comes across as a as a a, a tour de force as well mm. i'm very gushy tonight i'm sorry I'm too much <laughs> um i don't know what else he has been in as an actor actually that's um, a good question not a lot of huge things i mean he, he had lots of bit parts in his own films that's fair enough yes um, he in 1963 uh asked him to be a, a, a boston priest in the cardinal i haven't seen oh that. right not seen it no um, he was he was in Casino Royale nineteen sixty seven, but everybody was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh yeah, he he was Gandalf in the Rankin Bass Hobbit <laughs> voice off. Uh, well, I, I'm sure he would have been amazing at it, but my I, I think uh, this is probably his his biggest acting role. My my Gandalf is Michael Horton, for the record. But um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your your mileage may vary. Um, super. Well, yes. Um, uh, no, I have no more to say in conclusion. I feel I understood what the film was about. I understand the title. I enjoyed it. Um, I, it's made me want to watch The Two Jakes, which is the Jack Nicholson directed uh, and regarded as rather inferior sequel set 10 years later and filmed 20 years later. Yeah, there, um, there was originally going to be a third one, but The Two Jakes did pretty badly, so... I, I I gather it drags me. I'm 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 going to watch it. I I don't think anyone <laughs> considers it a masterpiece, so we probably won't be talking about it um, here. Uh, what I did do was have a look at what else. Well, particularly the top ten top grossing films of 1974, just for a bit of context. Oh yes, please. And looking down that list, yeah, the, this was really the high point of 1970s disaster <laughs> film. Oh, really? Uh, you, you had Airport uh, 75, oh, Earthquake, and The Towering Inferno coming out in successive months and all making top ten for the year. Really? It really was the dessert. Okay. So you, yes. you, your classic box picture, because you you got the actors' heads in the boxes on the bottom of the poster. You know, huge oh, cast, yeah. huge cast of well-known actors, because at this point it's still cheap enough that you can afford several well-known actors in one film. What uh, little I know is that there was a huge row between Steve McQueen and Paul Newman about who was top billing in the towering. Yeah, which is why one of them is top right and the other is bottom left. <laughs> but probably slightly bigger writing. I think it did get as petty as that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so that that that's three of the top ten right there. Um, wow. Blazing Saddles, which we mentioned briefly oh. in the, as, as the double bill with Badlands, but after that, it, it uh, found an audience. Um, <laughs> Goodness. And and another comedy which perhaps hasn't survived as well as that, um, Young Frankenstein. Oh, I one. do. I like Young Frankenstein. Um, 
I don't know. I, I have a complicated relationship with Mel Brooks, uh, largely because of Spaceballs. <laughs> um, mm. I, I, fight, I think to British taste, he's a bit on the wacky side. Um, when he gets it right, he does very well. Um, but it, there's just... Uh, and when combined with Gene Wilder, when uh, he was a phenomenal actor, I've talked about him before, but um, mm. uh, he, he has a tendency to sort of overdo the wackiness and the mugginess in a way that I, I don't if, respond if, to I suspect well to. if he doesn't have a director telling him not to. Yes, and I don't think Mel Brooks would tell anyone not to do that. Um, oh yeah, good. I like it, um, but I, I'm probably not aged as well. True. So uh, there's The Trial of Billy Jack, which I suspect most people haven't heard of now. Uh, I have not. It's it's kind of a Tom Laughlin vanity project. Um, Billy Jack is... yeah. The, the, this, this is very much Echo of Vietnam, and why don't we all get in touch with ourselves and steal Native American spirituality and Ooh. Not aged well then. Why, why can't we all be nice to each other? Um, at the time, the audiences loved it, which is how it got on the top ten. The critics hated it. Audiences outside the US also hated it. Okay. And, and Laughlin claimed that this, this, this had been a CIA um, thing to spoil it. To, to, they wouldn't know how bad it really was in the US. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. It, it, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the, the, this was num- number three in the series, and... Even the domestic audience hated number four, and number five never got finished. So, wow, yeah. there's, there's, there's a series of these. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I do not, I do not recommend. The... Okay, yeah, I, I won't be digging those. Uh, on, on a more positive note, uh, The Godfather Part Two. Oh, <laughs> I am. <not laughs> I, I, I don't get on with these films at all, but many no. people who aren't me reckon they're wonderful. So, uh, I, I, I agree that Godfather Two was probably the best. I've watched all. There's three, aren't there? And, um, but I don't know. Well, They're three came out a lot later, and we know what happens when when there's a sequel a long time after everybody thought the series was over. All I'll say is give me good fellas any time. <laughs> okay. uh, the the classic Murder on the Orient Express also came out this year. Oh, the one with, uh, I was going to say John Suchet flipping hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the one with Sean Connery in. Don't. Mm, was he? I think so. He was the big, burly Captain Major. Tower. I don't know why I picked Sean Connery in that. Um, it, it was another box picture. It, it, it had a lot of fairly big name. Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, that one. Yeah, that's uh, alright. Sydney Limit directing um, Bacall, oh, Bergman, yeah, Sean Connery. Uh, um, Anthony yeah, Perkins. Anthony Perkins. Poor time. He was an amazing actor. It's a shame he did Psycho and got stuck in it. Um, yeah. um, the, then okay. uh, The Longest Yard, which is a prison sports comedy, which has been remade two or three yes. times since. Yes. Passed and The light of Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. And it's not at all clear why why people loved this, but apparently they did. Was this... <laughs> A spin-off from the TV show, or this? No, it, it was so popular show? that it caused the TV show. Goodness me! All right. And yes, it's a complete. As far as I can tell, nobody has any idea why it was regarded as so wonderful. <laughs> Lots of people have very fond memories of Grizzly Adams, um, the the TV show. At least I've, I, I don't particularly. I've never seen any of it, so. No, I, I don't know if I, I. It feels like something that I'm aware of without having seen. But all right. But I I would say the only real trends I see here, I mean, apart from the disaster thing, which which would go on for another several years, and uh, one day we may get to talk about meteor. uh, (laughs) (laughs) There, that that and the comedies. 
were seen to be the thing that, that, that were regarded as reliable and you, you could open these wide and people go and see them and so on. Was Chinatown in the top ten? It was not. I, I, see, don't, I don't know where it came these... out overall. You know, this whole period we've been discussing, you know, this 70, this, the, the American New Wave. Was it called the American New Wave? But basically this period after, the, after Bonnie and Clyde up until the rise of the blockbuster. Yeah. You know, we consider that's what American cinema was. But actually, much like, you know, when you look back at music from the 60s, it's all, you know, the charts full of novelty albums instead of the Beatles. Um, though, that's fair enough, the Beatles did do all right in the charts, I'll give them that. Um, it's it's interesting that what you consider cinema of that time is is really not what was necessarily popular at the time, or at least not making money. I mean, yes. cr- critical reactions are a separate thing. A critical reaction to Chinatown was pr- was pretty thoroughly positive right from the start. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think one I one thinks of them as periods, or at least I do. And yeah, that, look, looking at those top top ten, it, it's clearly not. This was what was in the cinemas. This was one of the many options in the cinemas. And, yeah, and yeah. you had standard disaster film that we know how to do and can write in our sleep. And you had standard comedy and you had other, other weird stuff. I mean, if Airport 75 was in it, it led to one of the finest comedies of all time. So I'm not going mm. <laughs> to complain about it. Um, but I agree. Uh, so, well, one thing we didn't ask, um, in amongst all of those other films, and I agree, I think we probably picked the right film from this year. In that well, I, I, I was looking at the other stuff uh, Thompson lists as, yes. as the recommended films. Well, he, he's, he's actually quite quite uh, mild about recommending most of the others. Um, I have seen F for Fake. Uh, I don't love it as much as I'm supposed to. Uh, I don't know that one either. Uh, Orson Welles indulges himself. Is, is how uh, I see it. Okay, I haven't seen. I've seen Touch of Touch of Evil, which was Orson Welles' other. Masterpiece, um, I, uh, which I, I liked, but not I didn't love. Uh, apart from that, the only other ones I'd even heard of uh, were "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia," one of Pagan oh, yes. latest uh, last films. Yes. Uh, the Enigma of Caspar Hauser, which is uh, Werner Herzog being Werner Herzog. Oh, lovely Werner Herzog! <laughs> and and the Godfather Part Two, yeah, I, which I had never come across. Oh, I've heard of that. Um, is that Warren Beatty? I don't know. I I, I must have seen it because it rings a bell in my head. Um, <laughs> interesting. Okay, well, let's just ask the question as in closing. Was Chinatown a masterpiece? And as a slightly separate thing, did you enjoy it? We've probably answered that throughout the podcast. Yeah, I'm still an enjoyed but didn't love. Yes, um, all right. Because you know there there are certain things that that I like that that aren't there, and that's fair enough. I'm not saying every film should have them. No, like like you know, I I generally like fairly positive endings, for example. I, I, but I don't I don't. Seventies is not the decade. <laughs> yeah, I picked, picked a great time to start this. Um, but yeah, I I would say it it is extremely well done. So if that makes it a masterpiece, then sure. Um, it's it's got but, good direction. It's got good cinematography. It's got good acting. It's got a yes. pretty darn good script. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I would say it doesn't set new. It doesn't tra- tra- blaze new trails. But that's uh, by the definition of masterpiece. If this is the pinnacle or close to the pinnacle of the form, I uh, I, I can appreciate that and uh, not like a film. But I both appreciated it here and liked it. Um, I don't know. Give me a few weeks. The, the shine may have worn off like my hate it. There we go. Um, thank you, Chinatown. Thank you, problematic director, for making me feel awkward about really enjoying <laughs> this film. 
Um, all right. Oh, the, the good one for him is the fearless vampire killers. It's fun. You're like the third person who's mentioned that whenever I said Rosemary's <laughs> I thought it would be uh, Rosemary's Baby, which I watched a little while ago, actually. I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as this, I must say. I d- that I, might be one to talk about at some distant, yes, distant I, future point if we wrap round. <laughs> maybe I, I saw The Omen at an age when I was getting into film, and I, mm-hmm. I much prefer The Omen. But then I love Gregory Peck, so... Um, yeah. But I, I, I accept probably Rosemary Ferry is a better and more original film, but I prefer The Omen. So, so there, see me. <laughs> don't actually see me. Um, right, we're, we are... I don't think we're actually moving into 1975 next time, are we? We're going to have one of our patented, because um, it's the second time we've done it, throwbacks to a film that might be an interesting counterpoint to Chinatown. Is that right? Yeah, so, so the obvious one to look at... Well. I would say either the Big Sleep or the Maltese Falcon. Yes, uh, depending on you know, which particular elements of things you want. And the, the Big Sleep, of course, the classic example of studio interference. <laughs> um, uh, I love the Big Sleep for having a murder that not even the writer knew. <laughs> <who did> it. <laughs> um, but I think I would rather the Maltese Falcon for the John Houston connection. Yeah, so so that that is our official film. But I, I think we're going to wander into quite a few others. Yes, I think we are, including uh, possibly The Long Goodbye, which was the year before this. But is I think it might be interesting as a, um, a, a, a contemporaneous noir, but actually set in contemporary... Uh, is it Los Angeles, The Long Goodbye? It's certainly oh, California. So. Um, uh, but yes, so we will have a bit of a, a, a noir-esque episode next time. Noir-a-thon. Uh, a noir ostensibly uh, The Maltese Falcon. Um, but probably drag in a number of other films too. Uh, then onwards to everything changes. <laughs> <laughs> Super. All right. Well, thank you uh, for a stimulating discussion about um, mm-hmm. a film which I was very ambivalent about. And a um, uh, bit, bit of general housekeeping. If you if you got through through some random podcast download service, uh, you probably have access to other other episodes already. But if not, Ribbon of Memes Org UK is the master site where you can find everything we've done so far thank you for remembering (laughs) to do some plugging um (laughs) it only remains for me to say um forget it roger it's ribbon of means town 